Welcome inside. This is Sportsnet Today. A happy Monday to you. Program brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the tap room and restaurant in the Curry Barracks. Or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. Ryan Pinder typically hosts this hour for you away this week. My name is Matt Rose, in for Ryan. We get all sorts of things to discuss here on Sportsnet today. Ben Pope going to join us coming up just after the bottom of the hour. About 25 minutes away from that chat, and we'll be talking all things Chicago Blackhawks. Expecting them to announce the hiring of Luke Richardson as their new head coach later today. Reported over the course of the weekend, and uh, the Twitter account for the Blackhawks about a half hour ago has teased that they're going to have some news later today. That's what we expect. We'll ask Ben about that and uh, the interesting offseason coming up for the Blackhawks, too. Some thoughts on uh, the Stanley Cup final getting awarded, and we'll hear some post-game audio from the Calgary Stampeders, who over the weekend moved to 3-0 and with a massive win, defeating the Edmonton Elks. Once again, having to come from behind to win, but a trademark game for Bolivar Mitchell, Malik Henry, outstanding. The defense continues to bend but not break. Rene Paradis has yet to miss a kick through three games of this season after a very difficult Western Division semifinal. For him, last season, he has been absolutely automatic for the Stampeders and a big reason as to why they are 3-0. and uh, Heading into a bye week for the Stamps, so no practices this week, but we'll get you some audio there as well. But uh, first, some thoughts on the Stanley Cup. As yesterday, it was the Colorado Avalanche who did uh, what a lot of people thought would be very hard to do, and that is hand the Tampa Bay Lightning a series loss. They had won two Stanley Cups. They had won three series. 11 straight series victories for Tampa Bay. They go down 3-1 to one after four games. Colorado with a valiant effort in game four. They can't get it done at home on the Friday evening. Losing a tight game to Tampa Bay once again. Sending the series back to Amelie Arena. But it just really felt like after what had been an absolute grind three years playing more hockey than anybody else in the league going through all of that amidst a global pandemic as well. You know, guys going out of the lineup and coming back the the tunnel for Tampa Bay was like a turnstile for a lot of the postseason. you know, Chernak and, and point and Sorelli. The list goes on for guys that were banged up over the course of the playoffs. And as John Cooper put it, if this was a regular season game, half of our team would have been minor leaguers. I actually really loved everything that John Cooper was able to kind of put together post-game. Uh, he brought up all of his assistant coach, all of his coaching staff to break this one down, and uh, some succinct thoughts from John Cooper, whose uh, dynasty perhaps, maybe, has come to an end. But if you ask him, uh, this certainly isn't the end of what's been an outstanding run for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Did this when we won, and I'm bringing the uh, heartbeat of our organization, the coaching staff, uh, up, and we stand here and when we victory, and we stand here in defeat. Uh, but these are the guys. I, you see my face all the time, but these are the guys that make it all happen. And um, anyway, if you got questions? This is for all of us. Go ahead, what was go. your message to the group at a moment like this after the run you guys have had? Um, 
It's, it's tough because it's so raw. Uh, we haven't been through this feeling in three years. Um, but you, if you take a step back, I don't have a speech prepared. I didn't think we were going to lose the game. So um, it's hard to come in five minutes after. And, and so you just speak from the heart. Um, but you remember the teams you win with. Regardless of the league you're coaching in, you'll always remember those teams. And you don't remember as much the ones you don't win with. But I will always remember this team for what they endured, what they went through. To get to this point, it's, you have to marvel at them. It's a little shock and awe of what this group accomplished to get here. And it was different than the other ones. It was just different. Uh, the back against the wall, the teams we faced, like you go through the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Florida Panthers, and like, uh, it's I'm driving, who do we play after? The Rangers. <laughs> That's how worn out I am. Like you play, we had never had home ice. Like we played all these star-studded teams and they found a way. And we just ran into one more brick wall. And we just couldn't get through this one. But the three teams that we played were, I mean, they could be sitting up here out in the ice right now, raising standing cup. That's how good they were. And uh, so anyway, that's, I told the guys, just marveled at what they did. Go back row on the right. John, um, just moments ago, Pat Maroon said that we'll be surprised when the injury reports come out. Just how bad were the, the boys beat up? going into this series? I don't know what will ever be released, but a lot of these guys, what they put themselves through, it's mind-boggling. Um, but we would have had half our minor league team playing if it was the regular season. There's no question. I, it was, and that's why. That, that's never felt this about a team. Uh, you get the bumps and bruises, and guys are you know, nicked up here and there, but nothing like... I saw with this group and nothing that we witnessed when they came back, like the fact that they did come back, um, it, the heart of champions. And I, I'm telling you, um, I, I, first of all, like the Colorado avalanche are a class act and an exceptional hockey team. Like they bettered us and we have no bones to pick. Never ever sit here and say, Oh, we should have beat that team. We were right with that team. But like I told you uh, earlier in the series, you make your breaks and you get your breaks. And you know what? All I could think, the only break I'm going to think of is Cooch breaking a stick and the six on five. And that's, those are the things that happen, but you need all that stuff to win. And so uh, Joe Sack, Jared Bednar, and that whole crew, like they were, that's a hell of a hockey team. And that's how our guys should hang high. It's, it's, it's not like we <laughs> lost to some powder puff. That was a, that's a baller hockey team over there. Um, so, it, you know, in, in saying that, um, it doesn't make it less easy because you have to beat good teams when you when you win a Stanley Cup. Um, but we just got we got bettered by one tonight, and and um, we just ran out of gas, and uh, it sucks. Front left, Sergey. Uh, Coach, when Steven Stamkos was talking, he said, "Who's to say we're not done uh, for next year or beyond?" What does that say about him and? Do you believe that that's the sense in the room? We're not done. 
like the last eight years we've been to six conference finals and uh that's what you know what today is today's a crushing loss and we, we we played this whole season to get to this goal and we finished two days short of winning our like being a part of history but this group is part of history and you people we should take a step back and sit here in a league that, as i said is stacked against the cards they want parity to go to a, to win 11 straight playoff series and whatever it is like third all time like these guys are right up there with the 80s islanders uh, the oilers like those teams you talk about for decades i hope people talk about that group in there for decades because young hockey fans coming up and they're watching the same team parade to the final every single year you can't it, you don't do it by fluke and these guys warriored their way to that point like i said we just we we met our match in this series um but i hope people think of this team and and write about this team for years to come for what they've gone through in the last three years third row on the right eric Kind of stole my thunder there a little bit, John. But I, how long will it take you to kind of take that step back and appreciate what, it, knowing there's still more to come, but what you have accomplished over the past three years as a team and as a group? Winning, or <laughs> winning, winning is it's ecstasy. Losing sucks. So right now, like nobody's sitting here saying, "Oh well, look at what we've done." Like we were this close. It was that. I mean, every game there was. You, know, you look back and there's two overtime games and we're on the short end of both. You know, the, all these one-goal games and you toss out those two blowouts. Like That's how close the series was. And that's, that's what makes it sting. But, again, I, 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 you're just proud of a group and I'll never, you know, as a staff, we talked about it. We're, we're I'm never going to forget this team and I'm never going to forget this coaching staff because you just, you never know if it's all going to stick together. And uh, I'm just proud to be a part of this group it's it, it would make me hard to think of doing anything else that, than being a part of the Tampa Bay Lightning fourth row on the left John Ryan McGonough got a little choked up when he was talking about Steven Stamkos and his leadership what what has he meant to this team just you're not going to get to these places where we are where we're sitting today and where we've sat the last two years without leadership and without uh, players that you know be, are selfless and just we had a this helped he helped galvanize this group and so you know you help the new guys fit in and you talk to Belmar and he's never been on a team as close as this one and that's what makes it sting it's not like guys are walking out the door saying oh my god I can't wait to get on a plane and go home I, I'd be shocked if I saw guys leave tonight that's how close they were and Stan was a big part of that it's going to be interesting to watch the offseason for John Cooper, the head coach of the Lightning and his Tampa Bay Lightning team. They fall short of winning a third straight Stanley Cup, but Stanley Cup finals in two of the last three years, or in all three of the last three years, and winning in two of the last three, it, it comes with a cost. They don't have a ton of draft picks in the next few years. No second or third round pick in the upcoming draft. They're missing a first and second in 23, and their first round pick in 24 also gone due to the deals that they've made to put together the roster that they currently have. Right now, they're a few million dollars over the offseason cap, but that also does include Brent Seabrook's contract, which will give them about $7 million in LTIR cap relief. 
if it ends up still being on the roster throughout the course of the offseason. They got Andre Palat and Nicholas Paul as some key UFAs to kind of try and sort out. I doubt that you're going to be able to get both those guys in for $5 million. So we'll have to keep an eye on the Tampa Bay Lightning, but uh, Julian Breezebaugh does some pretty creative work out with the Tampa Bay Lightning as far as um, getting the roster, getting the right individuals on that roster for Tampa Bay and making them so they can compete around a very, very strong core that includes Stamkos and Point and Kucherov and Hedman and Vasilevsky, and the list goes on of players that are not only there for the next season, but a few more seasons to come. So, as you heard John Cooper say, they're not done. Six out of eight of the last conference finals and uh, still hungry for more, but now an intriguing offseason awaits. That was John Cooper postgame. We also got plenty of on-ice kind of raw emotion from a lot of the Avalanche players as they spoke to the media. Uh... Following the game, for example, Nathan McKinnon asked about uh, what his Stanley Cup party is going to be like by Kyle Bukoskis. I've been, I've been the drunkest guy at two of his, so he better be drunk at mine. Uh, but it's cool. I have my name engraved on the cup with uh, 87, my idol, and along with all the best players that ever play this game. So uh, we all do it. Get it engraved with these 26 Warriors. Uh, it's, it's just a dream come true. A goal to tie the game, an assist on the game winner for Nathan McKinnon is he was a beast, a force to be handled uh, in that game six and really over the entire course of the postseason as well. Uh, but he was outstanding. Kel McCarr ends up winning the Conn Smythe Trophy, recorded 28 points in just 20 games. He was actually third in playoff scoring behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who had 33 and 32 points getting to the conference final. But nevertheless, Kale McCarr ends up winning it. And I thought it was really cool, being the Calgarian, that uh, actually brought his brother, Tyler, up to the podium with him. And uh, Tyler gave his thoughts on how cool it was to see his brother Kale lifting Lord Stanley's Cup. He's the hardest working person I've ever known. So dedicated. Um, it's so funny seeing us grow up together have those sibling fights, battles, playing for fake Stanley Cups and mini sticks. And uh, to see him finally uh, be able to lift that, I know he's always wanted that and something I've always wanted to be able to watch too. Just so proud of him and our family. Con Smythe winner, Stanley Cup winner, Calder winner, Hobie Baker winner, top defenseman in the CHL award back when he was doing laps around the AJHL with the Brooks Bandits too. Dynamite. 23 years old. He becomes the youngest player to win the Conn Smythe Trophy since Jonathan Taves did it in 2010 with, of course, the Chicago Blackhawks. So pretty impressive to see. Let's also hear from uh, Joe Sackick, the man who put it all together as he spoke to Kyle Bukoskis after the game. Uh, Joe, does the cup feel uh, any heavier 21 years later? <laughs> Actually, it does. <laughs> A little weaker now. But uh, you know what? I'm, I'm so proud of the, the, this group. Amazing job all year. Right from training camp. These guys were on a mission. Uh, they bought in. The coaches did a great job. And, I mean, they've been working so hard for this moment. I'm just so proud of all the guys. You know, along this way, it wasn't steady growth. There were some bumps. How did you and your position stick with it and follow your gut? Well, we just got a great group of guys, great group of leaders. That core is uh, they're, they're amazing, and they all want to win. And they all wanted to stick together and, and try and get this uh, this thing done. And, yeah, you just every year you just try and, try and get a little bit better, a little bit better. And, uh 
Uh, it's all paid off. Uh, like I said, uh, this year has been an amazing run from all these guys. They faced a lot of adversity, and and you know nothing faced them. They just uh, they just got up the next day and went to work uh, and, and prepared and just just went game by game and, and didn't look uh, too far ahead. And um, you know last year we lost, and you could tell it hurt our guys. And and they were going to do whatever they could uh, this year to to make this day possible. Pretty impressive stuff. Congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche for winning uh, their first Stanley Cup in 20-plus years. And a big congratulations to Joe Sackick, who uh, part of both the last two Stanley Cups for that Colorado Avalanche organization. I uh, wanted to shift uh, the focus just to the Stampeders for a quick moment. We got Ben Pope joining us at about 10 minutes time here to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and their expected coaching hire coming out later today. But the Stampeders are entering a bye week. They will be off for week four, a victory for the team in week three to put them to three and oh, but really wasn't easy for the Stampeders. Uh, once again, some self-inflicted wounds early on in the game, uh, a penalty on each of the first two drives, one on offense and one on defense that took big gains off the board, extended drives for Edmonton. Calgary was in a 13-10 to 10 hole at the half. Malik Henry had a costly penalty. He had fumbled the ball, but he comes out in halftime and gets downfield and gets open. Bolivai Mitchell finds him on four massive gains of 30-plus yards. In the end, Malik Henry finishes the contest with 176 yards receiving, caught six of eight passes, caught a touchdown pass moments after Cam Judge intercepted former Stampeder Nick Arbuckle in the third quarter, and that was able to tie the game for the Calgary Stampeders. Just an outstanding game across the board. Bolivai Mitchell spoke to the media after the game and uh, talked about a lot of things, the, the adjustments that the team made at halftime, but most importantly, I think, uh, also a little bit of a message to his doubters. Yeah, I mean, uh, it says a lot about the growth. You know, uh, he actually had a uh, he had a bad play in uh, practice on day two uh, in blitz, didn't run his blitz route. You know, next play, he dropped the ball. I think I said, Dave looks at him, he's like, hey, he's like, hey, get your damn head up, respond, show up for the next play, stop thinking about the last thing. And I think that's exactly – it's awesome when that, that kind of stuff, you know, happens, comes to fruition there. Um, like I said, he probably should have had 250, you know, three touchdowns. There were some plays where I told him, I was like, man, if you just run and trust that I'm going to find you, there's some huge plays to be had. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can't dock a guy when he's got 170 yards and, and played the way he did. Uh, some adjustments on those balls. Like, those are things that as we get better together and he sees that when I'm out of the pocket, I want to make the ball go that way, um, you know, we're just going to get better and better. But it was awesome to watch him play. Is he the kind of guy who needs a couple plays like that to be able to have something to build off of week after week? Good plays. Yeah. I thought you meant the bad plays. Like I hope not. No, I hope that's not what it takes every time. Rather than just like you know approaching each game as a clean slate, is he the kind of guy who will like kind of take this and roll with it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's what I'm excited to see is uh, you know who he's going to be as a player, game in, game out. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about him now and talk about the speed and, and the hands and um, you know same thing with Titus last week. You know, you got to be able to flush those things. You know, guys. Love to build you up to break you down. So, um, you know, I hope he enjoys tonight. He deserves it. Uh, but that's, that's the entire group. You know, when we go over 300 passing, over 100 rushing, you know, that means the old line balled the hell out. So it was impressive to see, and they kept me upright, and that was, that was nice because I needed it. Well, how close were you to not playing? Yeah, it was pretty close, yeah. So what ultimately decided it? Uh, I went over to Group 23, and a guy named Daryl, a guy that helped me with my shoulder um, all offseason. 
He's like, hey, I've got a, I got a few ideas for a tape job that might give you some support, at least, you know, so you're not standing in cleats on the sideline just dying. Um, and as soon as he did, I started walking around. I was like, man, like, I kind of feel like I can, I can walk now. So let me see if I can, you know, get out there and run. So text to Dave and just say, hey, let me, uh, let me get on the field, Steve, see how it feels. And, and uh, you know, it felt, felt good enough to move around the pocket. Um, I don't think I've really been running full speed at all, but, um, you know, it was, uh, I just, you know, thankful for Dave for having that trust in me because he could have very easily, you know, said, hey, let's just go with Jake and, and you can get your rest for the bye week. Um, so very, very grateful for him to give me that trust. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very proud of the way we're playing in the second half that we're responding. Um, yeah, but like I said last week, I'd love to not have to make a 24 point comeback. Um, you know, but, you know, it's just, you know, things like that are, are going to get better throughout the season. You know, um, you know, the first game in, in it was Montreal. We scored 14 points in the first three drives. So it's not like it hasn't been there. Um, but obviously it's been highlighted these last two games. So um, definitely something we'll look at during the bye week and then how do we get better. And, and uh, I think the receivers know there's a lot on them. They've got to they got to step up with, uh, you know, blocking downfield, the game plan, making sure they're, they're in it with their head. Um, maybe maybe it's not getting too hyped in pregame, not you know, vibing to the music a little bit too much, but you know, thinking about okay, what what's our first call of the game? What are we thinking? How are we going to attack them uh, to be ready so that we're coming out of the gates a little bit hotter? You mentioned your offensive line, uh, big night for getting carry as well. Tommy Stevens was getting like four or five yards in short yards. Can you just kind of expand on what the offensive line was able to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, those guys are you know, they 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 put down railroad tracks and just let that train kind of roll. So. Uh, it's fun, man. I said it, you know, during um, my, one of my interviews this week. You know, Ryan Seaver came off uh, in the Hamilton game and was like, "Run the ball up the middle. Like we want to run the ball. We want to move them. Like, and that's a good D line in Hamilton." So to hear that, man, it builds that confidence in us. Like, okay, they want this. You know, like they're ready. Like they're not just like pass that guy. And I'm just gonna sit there and let me drop back 50 times. You know, we got Kadeem. You know, you're gonna you're gonna lean on that guy because he. I I believe he's the best running back in the game. Um, and uh, you know, when you can. Block the way we do with the receivers down the field. O line can you know not let it even get touched basically for the first four or five yards. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of big plays, so it's it's fun to watch, man. I just hope we keep building on it. Bolivar Mitchell, the quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders, formulating, facilitating a victory over the Edmonton Elks on the weekend. A big one for the Stamps because they can now head into their first bye week, get some bumps and bruises healed up. We'll look for the status of Trey Roberson, of course. Uh, as you heard from Bolivai Mitchell in the clip there, a little bit of an ankle issue that he's dealing with, but perhaps a little bit of rest will make him uh, right ready to come back for really only a couple of weeks of action before the Stampeders get another bye week, and I believe it's week eight, might be week seven there. Um, but 3-0, and one more matchup with the Elks coming up, and then back-to-back against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So some interesting football to still be played in the CFL, but that's a big one for the Stamps. We will keep you locked on the CFL story, of course, for the rest of the week. But as mentioned, no practices for the team. Um, so we'll uh, have to revisit some of the injuries in the next game against the Elks when we get to next week. We'll take a quick break, but around the corner, we're getting the latest on the Chicago Blackhawks expected to announce the hiring of their new head coach. We'll talk to Ben Pope about that next on Sportsnet Today, brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the Tap Room and Restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. Back in a moment, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today, typically hosted by Ryan Pinder. My name is Matt Rose. This program brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the Tap Room and the Restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores 
around Alberta. I'm very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Ben Pope, Chicago Blackhawks beat reporter for the Sun Times down in the Windy City. Ben, how do we find you today? Thanks for taking some time on a Monday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, doing well. Uh, just waiting for the official release here of uh, the coaching news. Yeah, it's got to be soon, right? Like the reports start to trickle out over the course of the weekend that the Blackhawks are going to name Luke Richardson, formerly with the Montreal Canadiens, as their new head coach. And I saw even the Blackhawks had a little tweet out, maybe a little tease earlier today. What are you expecting this news to come out? Are you expecting uh, an availability today? What is kind of the timeline you're thinking here? Yeah, I'm expecting it to come out uh, pretty soon, I think, um, sometime in the next few hours. And um, I think I don't think it'll be today. I think we'll get to talk to him later this week, but um, should be interesting to, to hear what he has to say. He's definitely going to have um, an interesting messaging line to try to walk, um, obviously needing to come in and be excited for that and, and wanting to develop the players, but also realizing that they're entering a rebuild and, and success is probably not imminent. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the, the kind of Tony strikes uh, on this first uh, press conference. So tell us about your thoughts uh, as far as Luke Richardson being the next head coach. First time NHL head coach. He's got a lot of experience uh, as a player in the NHL and, of course, has spent plenty of time on NHL benches since then, but not as a head coach. How do you think this is going to go over? This is the right type of ad for the team right now? Yeah, it seems like a good hire from from everything I've heard. Uh, Richardson's a really a really well liked guy around the league. Um, I know he was very popular in Montreal, working with the defenseman as the assistant there. Helped fill in uh, for Dominic Ducharme during the 2021 playoffs when he was out with COVID. Um, everything I've heard from Montreal is very positive about him, and um, his previous stops with the Islanders and Senators were uh, were also good. And then obviously he played for more than 20 years in the league, so. Uh, he brings a pretty good resume, even though he hasn't been an NHL head coach before. And, and even that trait was something the Hawks were kind of looking for. Uh, they really weren't interviewing or pursuing some of the bigger name candidates. They uh, were, were primarily looking at assistants around the league uh, just because that kind of fit the rebuild more uh, to bring in um, a guy who is also kind of up and coming like Richardson. Uh, it's, it's certainly unfortunate for Derek King, who did a great job, probably as good a job as anyone could have done as an interim coach this past season. And, um, did, did really well keeping morale up and uh, was great with the media, which I appreciated, but uh, it does make sense that they would go in this direction. Yeah, so why do you think it didn't work out with Derek King? Well, there, there's a few things you can point to. Uh, he doesn't have any NHL coaching experience, even as an assistant uh, before this, and, and has admitted that he kind of saw himself as a, a career minor league coach. Uh, that is a little bit maybe more what his personality is typically Oh, seems like we might have uh, lost Ben there. Uh, we'll go with effort to get him back on the line here in a moment, but uh, as well redial there. But just talking a little bit about Derek King, and, and, and that was an interesting note that he brought up, that he never necessarily felt that he was an NHL coach, that he was more more felt like he was himself a minor league coach. Um, that's That's an interesting thought on Derek King for sure. Ben, sorry, we just lost you there. If you could continue your thought on uh, just Derek and, and how he he almost viewed himself as a minor league coach. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, um, all good. 
Yeah, he did. Uh, he even admitted that, that that he thought his personality was more for developing players in the. Um, All right, we'll hang up and uh, try again with Ben Pope. That's unfortunate that we're just getting a, a tough phone line there right now as well. We're getting some some new thoughts on uh, on the Chicago Blackhawks here. We're expecting them to announce Luke Richardson as their head coach. That'll be announced uh, coming up here shortly. But it isn't the only uh, changes that we're seeing within the Blackhawks as well. Some front office leadership roles are currently changing uh, they've got some new assistant general managers. Brian Campbell is in the organization full time now. He's being uh, billed as the hockey operations advisor. Uh, this is a, a situation with Chicago as well, where they're getting a, a real diverse front office is something that I would call it for sure. So we'll ask Ben about that in just a moment as well. And honestly, there is a ton of questions surrounding player personnel with the Blackhawks as well. You're looking at a team with Jonathan Taves in his final year of his contract, Patrick Kane entering the final year of his contract as well. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with Kirby Doc. Is he going to be kind of the next wave of longtime Chicago Blackhawks players? We'll ask about that in just a moment. But Ben, a thought on some of the new front office leadership roles that we're seeing. Mark Eaton and Megan Hunter now in as assistant general managers. Brian Campbell has been given a, a full-time bill-in with the organization as the hockey operations advisor. And Carolyn Pilch as the director of player personnel. Can you just tell us a little bit about these changes and how they'll affect the Blackhawks organization? Um, yeah, it's it's not too surprising um, in terms of the biggest news there, which was Megan Hunter being promoted up to assistant GM. Uh, she's been really rising quickly through the organization, getting rave reviews uh, every step of the way. She started out as uh, literally an assistant to Stan Bowman, uh, not an assistant GM, uh, and is now in that position. So um, I think it'll be exciting to see what kind of aspects or what kind of uh, impact she can bring uh, to the hockey operations department, which she now oversees. Uh, Mark Eaton was already um, in his current role, so uh, that won't change. But um, uh, Brian Campbell has been side-by-side uh, -side with Davidson ever since Davidson became the assistant GM back in uh, November. Um, so it, it's not surprising to see him become an advisor, too. He, he's definitely a guy that Davidson has leaned on for advice uh, from his playing career. Uh, I guess the, the more surprising thing is that all of those uh, moves were internal. Um, Pilch joined the organization last year, and she's the the, the newest of the, of the bunch. Um, so in terms of bringing in um, outside perspectives and, and um, uh, just thoughts on how to run things, uh, not really doing that with those moves, but I expect we will see um, some more hirings to come on that front. Um, so that'll be uh, a good thing for, for an organization that, that definitely does need some fresh perspectives. NHL draft coming up. We're less than, I want to say less than two weeks away, July 7th and 8th. Um, less than two weeks for sure, about 10 days actually. How are we feeling about the Blackhawks going into this draft? They don't have a first-round pick. If I'm not mistaken, that was the Seth Jones deal that that one uh, went to Columbus in. But uh, how are you looking at the draft here for the Chicago Blackhawks? Yeah, it's an interesting situation um, with not having a first-round pick, uh, which obviously would, would make a pretty big difference at this point. 
Uh, I think they're kicking themselves about that, even though that was uh, Stan Bowman's doing. Um, but they do have two second rounders and three third rounders. Uh, so they do have an opportunity to, to take some shots at some decent players and hope that a handful of them pan out well. Um, they've, they've overhauled the scouting department. That is one area where they've brought in some new perspectives. Uh, they moved on from Mark Kelly, who had been heading that department for 15, 20 years. Um, and now Mike Donahue uh, has been promoted to the head of it. And uh, I know that, that he's kind of restructured things a little bit, moved some scouts around, uh, trying to do a more regionalized approach with, with less crossover so that uh, each scout can be uh, more of an expert on the specific players that they uh, are scouting. So, uh, we'll see how this um, this approach pans out. I know the Hawks are going to be particularly looking for forwards because that's that's really the weak area in their pipeline. Uh, they have a lot more in the defensive front, so um, uh, yeah, it should be it should be an important draft for them that they'll need to. Uh, to try to help restock that that prospect pipeline as quickly as possible. Well, it's a pretty young forward group, apart from really three players: Tyler Johnson, Jonathan Taves, and and Patrick Kane. And I would argue that two of those players in particular would really help restock the cupboards if the team opted to trade them. Patrick Kane, Jonathan Daves, and I'll throw Alex DeBrinket in here too, all in their last years of their contracts. Obviously, Kane and Taves are UFA after this, but DeBrinket is going to be an RFA. How much um, how much isn't the right way to word it, but do you feel like all three of them are going to finish the upcoming year as members of the Chicago Blackhawks? Um, man, that's tough to say. Um, I think they're obviously very different situations. The mm-hmm. um, Brinkett is extremely valuable, um, but, but he's a young guy. I mean, he's an RFA. Um, the, the Hawks would, if I think the Hawks are looking to, to see what they can get for him. Um, but it's certainly not guaranteed they move on. I mean, you could definitely give him a long-term extension and build around him. Uh, Kane and Taze are a very different situation where uh, they're 10 years older. Um, they're going to be UFAs at the end of next year. Taze, we really don't know how much he has left in the tank um, in terms of his career. Um, and if he does even still have another few years left, uh, if he's really willing to, to stick around for a rebuild, the, the losing even this past season seemed to be really wearing on him mentally. Uh, really frustrating him. And then he openly talked about that he's envisioned what it would be like on another team. So uh, he's in a different situation. And then Kane is in a different situation as well, uh, where he's still at the top of his game, still has quite a bit of time left um, in his career, still playing really well. So he'd be valuable on that front. But um, he might also want to go to a contender where he can make more of an impact. Um, so they're all in different situations. I think the odds are that probably at least one of them doesn't finish next season with the team, but they certainly all could or none of them could. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really the big question right now is, is how they handle those three situations. For Kane and Taze, they have no movement clauses, so it's really up to them to decide what they want to do. And, and as far as we know, they haven't made that decision yet. Um, and then with the Brinkett, it's up to Davidson completely. So uh, different, different situations there, but all of them certainly very worth following. Five restricted free agents as we head towards free agency on July the 13th. Uh, obviously, they're restricted, so it doesn't have to be July the 13th. It has to be next season. But Kirby Doc, Dominic Kubalik, Philip Kurashev, Dylan Strom, and Caleb Jones round out those restricted free agents. I would argue that Doc is probably the most marquee name there. Um, but how do you view the negotiations with those restricted free agents going? Yeah, well, with Strom and Kubalik, it's, it's really unlikely that the Hawks bring them back. Um, and that's going to upset some fans, particularly with Strom. 
Uh, he's a well-liked guy, and he had a fantastic second half of the season uh, this past year. Um, but it seems like the Hawks are trying to go in a different direction, and really the direction is to tank. Um, they're probably just not going to want to bring back those guys to get some contracts because their their idea is just to be as bad as possible next year, and uh, those guys aren't exactly prospects. Um, as far as Kirby Doc, there'll definitely be a deal get done. He, he's as certain to return as, as uh, Kubalik is to go, um, but it'll be interesting to see what the value is because he's certainly disappointed in his first few years in the league, but he still has promise. He still has a lot of raw tools. So will they go with maybe a bridge deal? Uh, will they try to get a long-term deal? And then what will the salary cap be? Um, will be interesting to find out. Um, they have some others as well, Philip Kurosev, Caleb Jones. Um, and then the goalies are both UFAs, but um, I'm sure they can bring them back if they want to. It's really just a question of what kind of direction they want to go there uh, with basically no NHL goalies currently signed for next year. So, Certainly some decisions to make on that front, but I'm not sure it will really matter too much in the end because it's going to be a, a very bad team no matter what they do. Man, we see a lot of teams live and die by what happens between the pipes. And like you just mentioned, no goalies signed. What's going to happen between the pipes for the Chicago Blackhawks? Yeah, they certainly have some options there. Um, they finished the year with Kevin Lankin and Colin Delia. Um, I mean, neither of those guys are exactly uh, proven guys or, or really had very good seasons, but... Uh, if you are rebuilding, um, it, it could make sense to, to give a guy like Lakin in a shot who was really good the previous year, um, could still have some potential uh, to, to find his game again. But if he doesn't, it's not really exactly um, antithetical to your plans. Uh, but they could also look to bring in someone else. I know Davidson had mentioned that goalie was one area where they could look at the free agent market. Uh, and then there's also the option of acquiring a guy like Peter Mrazek from Toronto uh, where you could take on his contract, maybe get an asset for doing so, and then hope that he has a, a rejuvenating season and then try to flip him maybe at the deadline. So um, they could kind of look at that. I know that's been a proposal frequently tossed around. Um, so a lot of different options um, to, to look at as far as a goalie position, but it, it, we don't know yet exactly which way they'll go. Ben, thank you for being so gracious with your time here on this Monday. Really enjoyed the chat today. Uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason. Enjoy the draft and free agency and everything that goes with it. And we'll uh, touch base probably once the season gets going here, man. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, sorry about those phone issues. Yeah, it happens. Appreciate you taking the time anyways. Thank you, sir. Thank you. There you go. That's Ben Pope. He's the beat reporter for the Chicago Blackhawks for the Sun-Times. And uh, a little bit of that, that Carolina twang there, too, with the uh, him being a rally native. Love that. And... It's like um, the Hurricanes writer, Chip Alexander, whenever you have him on, he's got that southern twang. like to hear hockey talk about it with that accent. Sure. Yeah, we had him on last week. Yeah. yeah. I think I've said enough. Having trouble formulating words. So we'll get out of here. Friedman's next uh, alongside Jeff Merrick to kick off the Merrick Show. Peter Baugh from The Athletic going to be on uh, our radio right around 1030. Gary Galley. And Ryan Warsofsky in the second hour. Warsofsky, the head coach of the Chicago Wolves, who won the AHL title. Maybe he'll get asked about Josh Levo. Maybe. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. That's coming up at 1130. But up next, it's the Merrick Show and Elliot Friedman. Right here on your home of the NHL and the Stanley Cup Playoffs, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.